You're listening to Innovation Fuel, a business podcast by University Canada West. Bringing you fantastic stories for accomplished entrepreneurs and key industry professionals. Let's explore the entrepreneurial world through local businesses and our university community. Hello, Glory. Hi, Dave. How are you today? Great. I was just thinking about something. What? Pondering this element of data. You know, we talk about data, and then we talk about these elements that are presented to us over the last number of years around the regulation of it. We talk about GDPR. We talk about CCPA. GDPR being the European element for protecting consumers and their data. CCPA being the California Consumer Protection Act against protecting the data. But there's still some questions there because we have the advancement of artificial intelligence and these do create value for customer. Even in these regulations, there's some grayness. Yeah, it's interesting because anytime when a new technology is coming, society will practice first and then they will take some actions about protection actions, any kind of protection actions. And then the industry that working on that technology will pivot themselves. But it's still in this a lot of area that no one knows or gray. And I think that it's especially, for example, the privacy of consumer customers, third party that they have a data centers, you know, data protections, all of that one is part of that that we are still exploring. It's not solid yet, you know? Even when we look at it, like, okay, Europe's come up with theirs and we're all kind of going in that direction. And then California came out, but it's only California. It's not the entire United States because one of the things in the United States works on is precedents. And precedents have to go through the whole funnel into the, a federal element. And so who knows what the future is going to be based on those two elements. But I think there is a lot of grayness on how we respond in this element. And sometimes even you put a lot of regulations, then when the society will practice the technology and the industry will adapt themselves, so they will deregulate some things because we still, again... We still are learning a lot about data, AI, machine learning, and cloud computing. So all of them are, it's just very new. It still is very new. So we are practicing that. We are seeing positive gain from it. We've seen the advancement of technology. We've seen the advancement of machine learning. We've seen advancement of AI and artificial intelligence and the benefits back to society around these elements. So again, who knows? We had podcasts with Boris Zhukarov before. We want to invite him back and talk about how he can help us to answer these questions about data and ethics. Let's welcome back Boris Jokov to another episode of Innovation Fuel. Brought to you by University Canada West. And today brought Boris back because we just couldn't get enough. If you haven't listened to the latest episode, you gotta listen to it. Boris is doing some really exciting things with artificial intelligence and auctioning. Could be the new revolution. But what we wanted to come back and have a conversation with Boris is around some things around. We talked about AI and the connectivity of AI. We talked about the autopilot business model a little bit. We didn't really go deep into it. And we kind of started to talk about data and some data regulation pieces. So I want to circle back with Boris and and talk more about the challenges around artificial intelligence. How can we leverage artificial intelligence in a way to better serve our customers, but then also 
be responsible in the mining of data and making sure that data is we're using it in a responsible way. Let me say this. First of all, I'm not really an expert in terms of like, let's say, all the data regulations or anything like this. I mean, I'm not exactly an attorney specializing in that kind of niche yet. I mean, I can probably give you a fair overview of certain, I guess, elements, right? So uh, as far as uh, data and all the regulations that are concerned, I mean, you got to understand that in reality, okay, whenever you have regulations, that's an extra cost to businesses, right? So there are costs and benefits. There are benefits too, you know? And so what's happening, and that's what we've been actually witnessing over the past, like, let's say, I would say maybe five or six years, right, is that people recognize that there are issues, right, such as like, let's say your digital identity being leaked, right? And so there are a couple areas that are concerning, such as safekeeping, right, of that data, and also who you know, can actually share that data with other entities and whether you know that that's actually happening. So that means that you want to have some control as a person, right? This is actually directly linked to something that we can see in the world relative to what we've seen kind of in a conventional space, not digital space, but conventional space when somebody like, let's say, gets your social security card, gets your credit cards, gets some other information and then would use like, let's say, to create a double identity. So the idea is the same, right? So definitely we're on the same track to create something positive by controlling, you know, how that data is collected, shared, et cetera, et cetera, right? The journey is definitely going in the right direction. When I say that there are costs and benefits, it's because we're not there. And when I say we're not there, it's because there are a lot of gray areas. Let me give you an example, right? Like, let's say there is this uh, regulation that was, uh, I think, passed a couple of years ago, right, by the European Union, which was actually a patch of the original regulation. The original regulation is, I believe uh, it's called general data, something like Directive, actually, that was the initial one. And then they patched it with the EU general data protection regulation, right? And so the idea was that they would have to standardize, right, to make it more uniform across all 27 members. And the reason there are some gray areas, and let me give you an example, and that's that's the same that's popping up right here in the U.S. Um, well, not for you, maybe in Canada, but over here in the U.S., like let's say with California, right, Consumer Protection right, Act, is that there are some gray areas. So for instance, okay, is that what are the key objectives? One of them is you want to safe keep the data, right? So that's one. So it wouldn't be leaked out. Second, you want to, okay, give control to consumers so they would know that this is actually happening, what kind of data is being shared, what kind of data is actually being collected, so they would be aware of the whole process, right? So it would be more transparent. That's the whole idea, right? And yeah, there are so certain gray areas, like you don't even have to go far, such as uh, what, what is, uh, like, let's say, whenever they say you have to safe keep that data, and uh, it's got to be a reasonable way of safekeeping data. Well, what does it mean, you know? So it opens door. My point is it opens door to litigation because eventually some prosecutor is going to be, like, let's say, challenging some companies, right, levying fines, and it's going to go to Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera, right, for each state. And uh, my point is this gray areas will, uh, will, will incur a cost on businesses, right? And who's going to be actually dinked? Because of that, well, taxpayers, because they have to pay for litigation. And then on the other end, consumers, because some of the cost, unless the supply is perfectly inelastic or demand is perfectly elastic, I mean, what will happen is some of the cost will be also passed on to the consumers, right? I mean, I'm, I'm saying, so there are definitely some costs and benefits, right? And also what's happening over here. So whenever you have these gray areas, the only way you're going to patch it up is if you're going to go through all these different litigation processes. Because in the U.S., we have a law that's based on precedence, right? 
So that means that, okay, there's going to be one president, another one, and then the law will eventually make it all the way to the federal. You see, once it's on the federal level, then we can have a structure that's actually transparent. That's where we want to be, right? So that's why I say the journey is correct. We have to do it, right? But just to say that, okay, we have this regulation right now that solves all the problems. I'm not so certain that's actually the case because of all these gray areas, because it's really a big unknown. That's why even big companies like in the EU, for instance, got dinked, right? You got... Google, you got, I believe, WhatsApp, because they were sharing information with their parent company, which is Facebook, right? And they found like some way how they interpret, right? Some kind of, uh, okay, like, let's say regulation in a certain way to, I guess, make that case in court. My point is there are some plus and minuses, you know, but then there is a benefit, right? There is a benefit because if we do it correctly and we find a way eventually to do it correctly, which we have no option, right? We're going to do it. I mean, that's just the way it is. It creates a trust in the brand, right? Because you as a consumer, you know exactly what's happening. And then, okay, it creates this element that you know your digital identity is safe, right? Or at least it's being shared exactly how you know it is being shared. And that creates transparency, which actually opens doors for more commerce, right? See? So eventually, of course, that's all positive as well. One of the things, of course, over here, okay, is that one of the challenges is, of course, sharing with third-party companies, right, that data. We don't have that problem because we actually only use it internally, okay, to estimate our own models, okay, that's one. But then on the supply side, uh, the uh, autopilot itself, that's actually, in, you know, not even public information in terms of what we do with the suppliers or sellers, okay? So that's actually the relationships we have with them, and then it's not being shared with anybody else. And how we securely, I guess, uh, store all this, that's a little bit proprietary, but it goes into all these uh, clouds and how you actually centralize the data. Because uh, a lot of times, it's also difficult to centralize it. And that's the cost to businesses as well. Because think about it. I mean, like so many things are being collected at different areas, right? Like your geographical location, your type of phone, et cetera, et cetera, right? All that, you know, and it could be part of the privacy statement, but it doesn't really matter. The key is getting access and uh, storing all that wealth of information that came from different sources possibly is uh, quite of a challenge, right? This element of the GDPR, and, and we're talking about the California Consumer Protection Act and looking at these two elements, and we see that pathway. Is this a pathway to the decentralized internet? Is this a pathway to Web 3.0? First of all, I think the regulatory okay, aspect, whenever we say that something is going to be, say, centralized or decentralized, I don't think it's always falling into like these extremes. You know what I mean? So I think it's going to be elements of centralizing certain components. I think it's more like an evolutionary path. To me, when I think of regulations, okay, because I see some gray areas and I see how they evolve, in, including like, you know, those two regulations I mentioned that's happening on the EU side. And actually California, they built on what EU, right, has in place. So that means that we use that information to kind of enhance it, right, to patch it up, to make it better and better and better. And so I, I just think that it's evolutionary. And they, if you think of it, it's not exactly like this uh, uh, kind of like discrete model where it's Internet 1.0, Internet 2.0. I think it's more like continuous, you know, when, when you have like infinitely many points that are just kind of like progressing forward. So at any given time, I think it's getting better. I mean, if you classify some major, maybe major breakthroughs, maybe it is 1.0, 2.0. But I think it is like that progression that really gets you, you see forward. That's what I think. I, you know, and that, that's, again, that's my take. I mean, I'm not saying I'm correct or anything like this. I'm just uh, 
expressing exactly my view. But uh, that's what that's what I think. And again, this is necessary. There are benefits and there are costs. You see what I mean? At the end of the day, we'd like to eventually okay create a regulation that's fully transparent, could be understood very easily by small businesses, right? Because eventually who will be able to fork a bill if there are some litigations? Bigger companies, right? Not smaller companies. And so you want to make sure that you actually create a framework that's transparent where small businesses can actually also understand the rules of the game, right? Where it's easy to understand. And I'm not certain it's actually easy for some of those folks to understand it at the present context, you know? So, so uh, that's, uh, that, that's my take. It's a lot of human interactions and trust, and we want to eliminate it with AI, which is good. It's more efficient, cost more cost-effective. I think that we cannot totally eliminate the human touch of that. Of course, but you see, I think people, uh, you know, kind of like uh, jumping into conclusions, they think that by relying on technology, we're eliminating human beings. I think we're just enhancing the experience changes. You see, the form of that experience changes. I don't think it's actually more like, well, now we become like robots or something like that, or robots dictate our lives. I don't think so. I think it's more like technology just enhances our daily lives, taking certain tasks to a different level, where all of a sudden human ingenuity can take another form that wasn't even feasible before. Let me give you an example. For instance, okay, I came from econ myself, right? That's where I, you know, I went to school for, you know, for economics or throughout all my undergraduate and graduate school. And uh, I can tell you, for instance, there was a, you know, a tremendous, okay, tremendous evolution of how economics, okay, uh, as a field has changed over the past 50 years. And I'm go- I can give you some examples. It was more theoretical, okay? It was more like, uh, kind of like, uh, I would say, not exactly maybe social science because it was always a mixture of math and social science. But in the past 20, 30 years, because it's all based on data in empirical estimations, it became pretty much almost no social science in entirely uh, com- completely like tech-based. When I say tech-based, mathematic, rigorous, very rigorous, okay, M- math-based, okay, a field, which is more, you know, not a social science at this point, right? But you're getting more te- to technical fields. For instance, my grandpa, you know, he, uh, well, he passed away, but uh, before he passed away, he had a PhD in physics, right? We used to debate all the time, I mean, in terms of mathematical models, and I realized that really what we do in economics, we apply the same models they apply in physics. I mean, they apply these models of Fourier transforms to estimate, let's say, some variable stars, you know, like, let's say, fluctuations in light. And in economics, you would actually apply it to savings, you know, all kinds of other functions, consumer utility, you know, and things like that. And, and so at the end of the day, it becomes like completely technical discipline. And so what I'm saying is, you see, you can say, well, economists now rely on technology so much, it's removing this human touch. But it's not. It's actually taking your, okay, sort of like ability to brainstorm ideas to a whole different level where you just couldn't even fathom to do these things like 50 years ago just because you couldn't estimate these models. You did not have computers capable of estimating a lot of models. In fact, my own dissertation when I did this, this was estimating a new method, okay, how to compute price changes. And the data is so enormous that I have no idea how it would have been even feasible to estimate something like this, you know, say even 40 years ago, let alone like 50 or 60 years. So I think the human touch is still there. You talked about the legal element, and we talked about precedents. 
And presidents, the big thing about presidents, what keeps lawyers employed is that they have to go find presidents. And it's not efficient to find all that presidents. And so artificial intelligence and machine learning is being able to go and find those things. And, and because we've had problems in that legal element, we've had things where president wasn't found and people were charged and tried and hung and didn't have the right information. Now we can use this artificial intelligence element to actually give people fair trials. Yes, that's a fair point. And that's actually creating a lot of efficiency because of that, because you can access data that probably could have been a subject to all kinds of errors, right? Because it's, you have a human going through records, right? I mean, I can only imagine there are like these file cabinets, right? And somebody is just like trying to kind of go through document by document, while like, let's say a machine can do it in a split of a second, right? And be reliable. And also it's kind of like, think about this, think about planes, right? Okay, you have now planes, okay, fly by wire, right? So there is this technology that's being installed on these machines, right? These flying machines. And what's happening to the reliability? It's going up, right? But why is it? Is it because we eliminate humans? No. I mean, we still got pilots just in case something goes wrong. But we also understand that we, as human race, we may not be as consistent, right, as some of those machines. We may react really well. And you have Sally, right, when he actually landed that plane on Hudson. And that's where a human element can, you know, shine. But at the same time, you know, you want to kind of hand some sort of like ultimate technology and all these different innovations. And you want to make it available to all these human beings to make it more efficient. And that goes back to the legal. So now all of a sudden we can analyze all these files, all these data in a way that wasn't even feasible before. And to let you know is the same way, because at the end of the day, think about this. What we are after is we are going to be looking, I'm talking about perpetually into data on the supply and demand surfaces at the same time. I mean, that's exactly a unique way, in fact, of uh, looking at data because of price bids and where consumers end up, right? Because those are binding transactions. When somebody is bidding on let you know, they are ready to go. They're putting their credit card to prepay or whenever we're going to roll out all goods and services, new goods and services, that means that these guys are they're going to be binding transactions and so that means that we're really collecting okay real surfaces of the demand and also uh, supply surfaces and mapping those two together and so that means that unlike let's say some other internet companies today who only got one price and one quantity right demanded at that price we actually have surfaces which is unheard of right that's truly kind of unique and that creates okay an environment where we okay by collecting this data we can actually enhance the experience for both sellers and buyers right to make those transactions okay, happen more streamlined, right? Eliminating all the search costs, transaction costs, all of that, right? You know, there's all these barriers of entry. Now you're saying we take some of those away because it makes it easier for people to enter. Absolutely. And the same will be true for, like, let's say, across new industries and new businesses. Think about this. When we're going to roll out the infrastructure for all new goods and services, and let's say there is a startup that wants to sell certain products, but right now they need to find buyers, we'll let you know, we're going to say, hey, look, we're going to pretty much, okay, autopilot your entire business. We're going to get buyers to you. You don't need to worry about that. You are good at producing whatever you produce, right? Let us handle to give you buyers. That's it. That's it at no cost to you as a business, okay? So focus on what you are good at, which is making those services or goods, okay, available to people. So exactly. I want to understand, it's a target cost per action. How you're doing it, what is it exactly? Yeah, so, so the key is, I mean, the way it's done is, 
you analyze characteristics of the buyers you want to target. You cannot target everybody. If somebody thinks that they can target everybody, you are casting a, a, you know, a net that's too wide, right? And that means that your cost is exponential, right? So you got to know your consumer target. And then what you do is, okay, whenever you have those characteristics, well, you got to see where you can actually get those buyers, right? Or those potential buyers. And that's where you got to be, okay, that's where you got to focus all laser focused, okay? Uh, you got to concentrate at that particular element. That's what you do. And so in our case, okay, we have uh, all these, uh, they are called AI ads of people who are active, for instance, that they're active at uh, searching for particular keywords. I mean, just to give you an example, for particular keywords online, right? And so we pick it up. We know exactly, okay, when a certain person is going to be actively looking to get a deal, not just like, you know, researching what they want to buy, but now, okay, they know what they want to buy and they start, okay, particular search, okay, for that price. You see? So now they're looking for a deal. And so that means that we can catch them right at the end of that funnel, right? And we say, hey, I mean, you already know what you want. Likely you even know the market. So that means that you have your offer. Well, why don't you bid your own, okay, price? I mean, so... Uh, yeah, that's that's it, and get an instant result. But that's how it's done. And uh, if uh, your consumers, like let's say, if you have a younger audience that's like let's say tech savvy, okay, uh, maybe you will concentrate your efforts on something like TikTok, you know. And there are certain influencers maybe who can actually get you to the right audience. So you have to analyze all these uh, the breadth of the data just to know, okay, is it this target audience that I really want to pursue or is it something else, you know? That's how you do it. And then it's truly, I don't want to say it's a numbers game, but it is kind of like a numbers game because whenever you do a pretty extensive marketing, okay, so for instance, in our case, okay, even though I say we have a particular consumer profile, et cetera, I mean, what we are already gearing is to target 20 million buyers, okay, approximately every single month, right? This got to be a repetitive process, first of all, okay? So that means that uh, you, you got to catch people at the right time, right? But the point is, whenever you have such a big number, the key is then you can estimate pretty accurately, well, how many people are going to go to your site? How many people are going to be clicking on here and here to actually get to the submit page? How many of them are going to be submitting it? How many of them are going to get, like, let's say, you know, whenever they bid, they're going to get, like, let's say, a positive or negative. Let's just call it positive or negative result. How many of them will come back if they get negative, right, and try again another bid? And so, and how many of them are going to complete in these uh, transactions? So you have all these estimations, but whenever you have big numbers, you can actually be pretty accurate. All kinds of different variance estimation techniques, you know. Uh, so, so what you do is you see, like, let's say, if you predict a certain, okay, a certain outcome, how far are you, right? So that's your variance, so to speak, right? And then you adjust and you keep calibrating, right? So that's the idea. And that's kind of like where you have artificial intelligence as well, right? Because that's the premise behind it is that, okay, so uh, we predict this point, we get here. So that's our, uh, well, that's the error, right? So uh, you look at uh, how do you change the model slightly, right? To account for that difference, right? And see, this is, again, going back to data, going back to the mathematical tools, right? I mean, it's uh, pretty powerful. I mean, uh, that, that, that's for sure. And uh, the way humanity, okay, has achieved all that is uh, incredible, too, because, because, and that's where technology comes in, too. So think about this. I mean, we used to be like thousands of years, nowhere close to, you know, this state of form. And yet we were able to somehow dot our way, right, all the way to present. But look what the future has to offer, my friend. We've got, the, if we're going down this path, we say a thousand years has gone by, look at the technology advances we've had. 
look what we've gained from this element. What else could we gain from this element? And that leads me to asking you a challenge, my friend, because I need to ask you a challenge before we end this show today, a challenge to throw out to our audience. The challenge is, okay, so you see where the data is going to, right? So the data, okay, is going to be larger and larger and larger and larger in terms of volume, right? So when I say that there are some uh, gray areas, such as safekeeping, right? So, I mean, I mentioned that because, because and, and there are going to be some, uh, okay, some uh, court cases to eventually identify and structure that in more like, I guess, quantifiable terms. But here we go. I mean, uh, here is a challenge. I mean, try to actually find a way how to safe keep that data and yet make it accessible to very small businesses. So that means that your cost has to be so small that you can actually make this particular niche market available to all businesses. So if you can find a way to do that, you're going to be positioned just right. Whenever all this regulatory okay, framework hits, okay, hits the mark on the federal regulation and you're ready, you're ready to go by providing this kind of services to businesses. That's actually B2B business right there. Brilliant. It's really, you guys are brilliant, you know? So, you know, because of you, I have to kind of push myself, you know? So, so that's that's how it goes. And that's actually, when you say that the progress has been enormous in the past thousand years, it's because we human beings started collaborating a lot, right? I mean, that's, that's what's really happening is that we exchanging ideas, right? Becomes more open in terms of, okay, debating ways to move forward. And that creates and spurs innovations. I love the conversations. Absolutely mind-blowing. Thank you, Brice. Thank you, Dave, for another episode of Innovation Fuel. Thank you for listening to Innovation Fuel. We are on all podcast streaming platforms, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Visit our website at www.youcanwest.ca slash innovationfuel. Also, follow us on Instagram at innovation underscore fuel.